everybody and welcome to another one. In fact, the 106th episode of our long-running financial well-being podcast series. My name is David Lloyd. I've been uh, co-hosting this pretty much since it, well, not pretty much since it started, since it started. And I believe I've missed one episode where the other guys snuck off and did one without me. But apart from that, I've been here all the way through, as indeed has the next person I'm going to introduce to you, the mighty Chris Budd. Chris, tell us about yourself. Good morning, David. Uh, I um, actually wrote the original financial well-being book, and I'm going to say original, the original of all financial well-being books, which has just been reprinted and reissued. I actually forgot that I'd done some revisions to it last year and then was pleased to hear from the publisher that it's out. <laughs> so that's good news, isn't it? Fantastic. So if you haven't already read that book, uh, go out and buy it. And if you've already read it and think you have, well, go out and buy the uh, reissued version because it's different. Yeah. And, and I was dreading you saying, oh, what are the revisions, Chris? Because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're very, very clever, though, Chris, because you are a very, very clever man. Talking about very, very clever men, but not actually somebody who's been on the podcast quite as long as Chris and I, although he does feel like a pretty much a fixture. We're talking about producer Tomo. Tomo, talk to us about who you are. Uh, well, laughable that I'm called the producer still, given we know the truth that Tammy does all of that work. I <laughs> just slipped it. And here is uh, here is one of the one of the ones who waffles on as well. Uh, yeah, so I'm Tom Morris, I'm director and chartered financial planner over at um, Ovation Finance in Bristol. Who uh, who have supported this podcast? Uh, I think eight, in April. I think we're coming up to our eighth anniversary in right. April. Remarkable. So uh, yeah, we were trendsetters back then, and uh, yeah, everyone else has followed. I guess with the podcast quote, um, world. Yeah, eight years of not making people laugh, but also <laughs> talking, but also talking. You know, with some degree of sense, I think about uh, various financial issues as they relate to well being, and also hovering in the background is the other producer, as Tom has already referred to her, producer Tammy. She's the one that makes it all work. She very, very, ever so often we hear a little, a little, little contribution, a little vocal contribution from Tammy, but normally she likes to keep herself quiet in the background, but we just need you to know that she's there making all of this work and keeping us on our toes. Right, now we've introduced the cast, let's get on to the main event. So Chris, what are we waffling on about today? Today, David, we are going to thoroughly examine the really important but old, old question, does more money make you more happy? Well, obviously, the answer to that one is yes. So thank you for listening to episode 106 of the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. We'll see... Oh, hang on a minute. Chris is waving his arms and suggesting (laughs) that that perhaps there might be more to be said on that. I can't think what that might be. Oh, goodness. Well, obviously, the answer is no, David. Come on now. The thing is, so this is why we're going to talk about it, because I think both answers feel instinctively correct. So uh, it'll be an interesting topic for us to take on. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, obviously, the facile answer is that more money makes us happy. But Paul McCartney knew otherwise. What money can't do is buy you love. Uh, and, and indeed, it probably can't buy you a lot of other things, too. But Ooh, before- David, 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 can yeah. I just interject? Because yeah. um, the good news story of the week um, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, as a massive Beatles fan myself, um, listeners may be able to picture Paul McCartney's iconic Hofner bass. It's a kind of violin shape to the to the body of the bass that he used to play in the Beatles. Um, nobody else has ever played one. Um, he's one of the great bass players of all time. And in 1972, that legendary Hofner bass was stolen from the back of a van when the band Wings were on tour. 
And a couple of years ago, or about four or five years ago, people started a bit of a campaign to try and find Paul McCartney's base and have it reunited to him. And this week they announced that they found it. Absolutely yeah. fabulous story. I saw that on social media, but they rather glossed over about where they found it and how they found it. And the suspicion seems to be that, that, that whoever nicked it isn't going to fess up to having nicked it in the first place. <laughs> no, I, I suspect. I, I, I've been reading a bit more, actually, and the guy who nicked it sold it to the landlord of a pub and right. he gave it to his relatives and it's been in a loft somewhere on the south coast for quite a long time. So I suspect there was a little bit of, well, we won't say anything, and you know, a bit of an amnesty. Um, but oh, wonderful news that Paul McCartney's got his original half of the base back. I think that's just the loveliest story. I am very happy for Sir Paul. Right then, <laughs> let's let's move on. But before we go on to more philosophical musings about does money make us more happy, we need to go back to how we can save money. We can talk about ways in which we might not have that much money and we might need to just economise a little bit. And therefore, we're going to move on to one of our regular tips, the regular feature, actually, in the show, tight ass Tomo. Every so often, I need to remind uh, listeners who aren't regular listeners where this idea came from. Tom Morris was taking Chris Budd and another colleague out to lunch. He said, guys, guys, it's my treat. Have whatever you want. But psychologically, he was rather clever because he steered them to a particular restaurant, steered them towards a particular thing on the menu and said, I've heard this is really, really good. You know, I had it last week. Fantastic. You must have this. So they all had this particular item. It then turned out that Tomo had a voucher, a free voucher that entitled him to one free thing on the whole menu. And that was the thing that they just eaten. So, so Tomo walked away thinking, I've just taken my colleagues out to lunch, but also Thus was the legend of Titus Tomo born. Ever since then, we invite the aforementioned Titus to come up each week with a particular tip on how we can economise and how we can save money. So that's where it's all come from. Before I move to the master himself, Chris, do you have anything to add this week? I do, actually. Uh, I've mentioned before about buying brands. Um, it really bugs me that you go to your local spa um, or whatever supermarket and Nurofen will cost £4 for 16 tablets, but non-branded ibuprofen for exactly the same thing only costs 50p. Well, I want to extend that tip further. Shopping in the world food aisle in your local local supermarket. Herbs and spices, for example, are cheaper and in bigger amounts. One supermarket's cumin seeds were £3 for 100 grams, but the ones in the world food aisle were 80p. Well, that's an excellent one. In fact, I'm just going to add to that, in fact, and you could save even more money by going to your local area where there are lots of Asian shops and go in one of there and you can buy a bag of a kilogram of cumin for 20 pence. Well, maybe that's an exaggeration, but that's the place to go to get it really, really cheaply. Uh, but yeah, it's always worth shopping around, I find. And and, and similarly, it will, uh, can I name rest, uh, supermarkets? Yes, I can. So you've got a Waitrose and you can pay twice as much in Waitrose as you would in Tesco's or indeed Aldi or Lidl for the same thing. So obviously for some people, they're quite happy to just to go whichever is more convenient. But if money is an issue, shop around. There we are. That's the message from myself and Chris today. <laughs> Tomo, what have you got? Well, you stole all my thunder a tad, oh. actually. No, no, no. It's all, it's all, it's all good. You, you've actually added to a theme of mine, which is around groceries, which is around um, food, uh, 
whether that be making it at home or or actually getting it, uh, you know, takeaways. And I appreciate that some would argue that takeaways isn't very tight, but, you know, we're going to have them, aren't we? So we might as well find a way to save some money on it. Uh, this tip was actually from my colleague, uh, Cheryl at Ovation, who made me aware that if you have an Amazon Prime membership, which many of us do, um, I certainly do, there's an area called Your Prime Exclusive Offers. And a couple really jumped out at me that I'm automatically going to be able to save money on is Delivery Plus. You get free free membership for a year with Delivery Plus, which I believe will get you uh, free deliveries for all orders over £15. So there you go. That's the takeaways I talked about. You know, that that little bit of saving will add up. And the other one, uh, and we've done this for a little while, um, not every week, but but every three weeks, you have HelloFresh, which is one of these um, one of these companies that deliver a set fresh meals that you make at home, but they give you all the ingredients and the and the and the recipe, and you're able to make a lovely meal for your family. Relatively low cost; it's not the cheapest way of eating, but we do it sometimes just to to mix things up. And you can get a whole year's free delivery on that. And that is £5 every time you get one of those boxes. So it all adds up. So, yeah, Amazon Prime exclusive offers. Go for it, Chris. Speaking as an Amazon Prime member myself, I shall go straight there the minute we finish this recording. There you go, offer. Yeah, I actually have. And this is amazing because I've just discovered I can get an exclusive online pack of six ring pull smoke grenades for only £30. See you I'll later. tell you what. I tell you what, Chris. If you can't use all of those, I'll go halves with you, and I'll take three <laughs> off your hands. How about that? Hey, I tell you, what, I just found another one. Um, whilst I'm on there, look, might as well share it whilst we're on the pod. Amazon Prime at the moment, you get two tickets for just ten pounds at Odeon Cinemas as well, wow. Monday to Thursday. So there you go. There's hopefully some savings for somebody and all of that. Yeah. I think they're out there, aren't they? Sometimes we get we get deeply embedded, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast, haven't we, about getting getting locked into particular patterns of spending and behaviour. Well, I think we're the same when we shop. We get used to going to a particular place. We know where everything is. It seems a bit more complicated to try a different shop. But it just goes to show that if we're prepared to look around and be a little bit more flexible, it's all out there, guys. Which is why this whole segment exists for exactly. our listeners, right? It's all thanks to Titus Tom. Yeah, Once yeah, I'll again, take all you of make the, the world and our lives a better place. <laughs> right. Moving on from that, let's go to the main event. Chris, where do we start with this question? Does more money make you more happy? So I was inspired to look at this topic for two reasons, David. Um, firstly, uh, it's a question that I get asked quite a lot particularly online, um, and I've had a few disagreements with some people. Some people say, well, of course, more money will make me more happy. I mean, that, that just seems obvious. And yet, and yet, it just doesn't instinctively feel right to me. So, but then the second reason was, is there's some research. Um, the first, uh, two bits of research. So the first bit of research was done back in 2010 by Professor Daniel Kahneman, a name many of our listeners will know well. Uh, which found that after a certain level, more money doesn't make you more happy. Great, that fits in with my with my narrative. That's good. But then there was some other research done in 2021 by Professor Matthew Killingsworth, which found that people with more money did report being more happy. Oh, orcs. I mean, based on what we've been preaching on this podcast for the last eight years, that goes against 
pretty much everything we've been saying, Chris. I know, I know, exactly. So that's why I wanted to look at this in a bit more detail. So perhaps when we when I first introduced this, you both had an initial reaction. Perhaps you could both just explain why, David, you felt yes and Tom, you felt no. Well, instinctively, and I guess this is also my my pre-podcast, David, as well. If you'd have asked me this eight years ago, I would have said, well, definitely yes. Because if someone doesn't have enough money to buy something to eat, for example, then more money to buy food is clearly going to make them happier. Mm-hmm. I, I said no, just for devil's advocate, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, no, I absolutely agree with that, David. I think that base level of subsistence is really important for an awful lot of people. But on the other hand, if I were to give uh, Elon Musk as an example and gave him a million dollars, it was very unlikely to affect his happiness, is it? And so, you know, both of these responses feel valid for me. So maybe this gets me thinking that maybe we need to extend the question to ask, does more money make you more happy without limit? And if not, then where is that limit? So this is what we're going to do. Um, Tomo, I've asked you to look at the original Daniel Kahneman research. And then, David, I asked you to look at the Killingsworth research. And then once we've heard from both of you who were giving us a little bit more about how those re- how the researchers went about their, their studies, I will then tell you about a significant twist in the plot. So, Tomo, go first, if you would. Tell us about Daniel Kahneman. I will. I've even written notes on this so, so that I didn't miss anything. So Spot. here we go. I know. <laughs> so, so Daniel Kahneman is a, is a professor at Princeton University and is a hugely respected academic who has authored many books, including The Pivotal Thinking, Fast and Slow, which has so much relevance for how we make financial decisions. And he was a co-recipient of the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2002 for his integration of psychological research into economic science. So, you know, quite the CV, I, I think it's fair to say. His paper with Angus Deaton came out in 2010 and was based on surveys of some 450,000 people. And it was called Does Money Buy Happiness? And analysed responses to a survey called the Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index. They started by identifying two different types of well-being. First, we have experienced well-being, which describes how we react to what happens to us. And therefore, whether we feel life is pleasant or unpleasant in the moment. So that's crucial, in the moment. Then there's evaluated well-being, which on the other hand refers to how we might assess our lives on a much broader level, which allows us to take time to think about the question. So we might say that experienced well-being is rather instinctive, that in-the-moment feeling, whereas evaluated well-being is responsive. We have time to think about Think about it, hence evaluated. Perhaps unsurprisingly, what they found that those with low income provided results of both low experienced well-being and low evaluated well-being. However, while evaluated well-being continued to increase with income, experienced well-being actually peaked uh, around $75,000, which I believe is around about $100,000 in today's money. And to quote their report directly, they found that high income buys life satisfaction, but not happiness. I'd also add one thing. 
they make the point in their paper that there is a huge amount of research available into the question of whether money buys happiness. And there is no one definitive answer. Their research was an attempt to provide this definitive answer. Well, I put it to you, my learned friend, that it didn't. (laughs) Yeah, all right. right. Back off. All right, calm now. (laughs) David, your your turn. Um, What about this second research? Right, so the second piece of research was by Matthew A. Killingsworth from the University of Pennsylvania. And that was based on a sample of over 1 million reports from around 34,000 employed adults. And uh, these people are all in the US, just like the Kahneman study. Now, one of the flaws of the previous study, which Killingsworth points out, is that the responses about experienced well-being, how we feel in the moment, aren't actually given in the moment. They come from questions asked about feelings about the previous day or the previous week. His study, therefore, used smartphones to give genuinely in-the-moment responses. Now, his results partly agreed with the previous study in the evaluated well-being, which is how we might assess our lives if we take time out to consider the question, does increase with income. The difference is that they found that for many people, experienced well-being, how we are feeling in the moment, also increases with income and without limit. Okay, so we have two sets of research, one which concludes that how much we enjoy our lives in the moment increases with money only up to a certain level, and one that concludes that this may well not be the case. So two respected academics conducting two surveys which seem to suggest the opposite thing. So what happened next? One me, and Dave, me, well, well, me and Dave had a fight to the death. Aside, <laughs> right. the research they spent a lot of time reading was right. <laughs> Because I'm telling you, confirmation bias tells me mine's right because I did the reading on it. Well, excuse me, but my confirmation bias is better than your confirmation bias. (laughs) And my dad can fight your dad. (laughs) Sorry, Chris, you you were on a trend. (laughs) I can't myself. No, no, I, I, I think there could be something in this. We could, we could do a, um, a podcast live of the two of you in a mud bar, in a mud bar, having a fight or something. No, my evaluated well-being is better than your evaluated well-being. Right. Um, so look, what happened next? One might imagine. I mean, you, you know, let's face it. If if two people have this sort of discussion on Twitter, then they're just going to shout and argue with each other, aren't they? You know, it's very rare that you find people saying that's an interesting contradiction in my opinion. Tell me more. But actually, that's what these two did because they're academics. So they came to um, look at their existing findings and tend to, and try to find out. Um, using a process called adversarial collaboration, why there was a difference. So as scientists, they did what scientists do. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, of the the famous story of Fleming with a mould on his Petri dish. He didn't get annoyed that his experiment had failed, but he investigated the mould and as a result found penicillin. So before you tell us the results, Chris... How did they go about understanding the differences between their separate research? So they focused on the experienced well-being, how we feel in the moment, because their research had broadly agreed on the evaluated well-being. And what they realised was that their assumptions, both of them, in their both their separate reports, their assumptions were wrong. They hadn't taken into account of the fact that some people are just always unhappy and some are always happy. 
well, hold hard, my friend, because isn't that the set point theory that you talked about in our last podcast? Yes, David, you've been listening, haven't you? You've actually been paying attention rather than just hosting. That's right. (laughs) You know, the theory that we tend to go through life with a set level of long-term well-being, which we oscillate around as we are happy or sad in the short term. So what this new study found was that more money will make some people more happy, but for other people, more money won't make any difference. It depends on their existing level of happiness and attitude their attitude to their lives and their money. Uh, to quote the study, happiness increases steadily with income among happier people and even accelerates in the happiest group. Right. Hang on. I think I see what you're doing here, Chris. So the lesson was set point theory was all about changing our relationship to money, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, our set level of well-being is 40% dependent upon our intentional activity. So it's quite a bit that's involved with our DNA. There's a little bit that's to, around some of our, you know, how we are financially, that sort of thing. But actually 40% is dependent on our intentional activity. That could be how we view money, whether we focus on internal or external self-worth. If we have um, some form of meaning and purpose in our life, all of the things that we've been talking about in these podcasts for over 100 episodes and almost eight years. So the people who have worked on their intentional activity around their relationship to money may well find that some more money will make them more happy. But people who have not got a very good approach to life, I'm thinking here of the people who, who see money as just the objective, for the objective, for example, may well find that more money doesn't make them more happy and if listeners want to read more about this set point theory then the the great book on this that i really enjoyed is uh, the how of happiness by sonia leibomirsky so this leads me to my personal conclusion to this question about does more money make you more happy which is this it's the wrong question ah so why is that well because it makes money the center of our lives it makes money the reason for our happiness but this doesn't lead to well-being money should be our servant not our master if we focus on things that make us happy as tomo says living a life of meaning and purpose and finding a joy in our relationships and so on then more money may well allow us to do more than that yeah although i still think there is or there has to be a limit to, to this but i completely get your point chris yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I do can't instinctively feel that as well. But, but if our intentional activity is poor and we aren't spending our time doing things that will make us happy, perhaps because we're chasing status items uh, to get the approval of others or spending money on things to give us short-term hits of happiness which clutter our homes and make us focus on money, then no amount of money is going to make any difference. So rather than asking this question of does more money make us more happy, the question we should ask is what makes us happy first and then considering how our approach to money may be helping or hindering the achievement of this. Mm -hmm. And it won't surprise anyone knowing that we're researching this whole topic of financial well-being and kind of know this from doing it that when we at Ovation, certainly speak from my own experience, when, when I meet a new client, you know, they often bring all of their paperwork to show how much they have, how much is in their pensions, etc. You know, they you know, come for advice on their money. But I 
gently sort of slide those to one side. You know, I know that they've brought them in, but I slide them to one side and actually spend time asking them about their lives, their future, what they want to be doing at certain points, you know, what motivates them, what, dare I say it, may make them happy. Um, And then only when I've understood these things, when we've all in the room started to understand those things, can we start to actually look at their money and what that can do for them linked to those things we've just spoken about. And I indeed have personal experience of this because because Tom is indeed my financial advisor, as Chris was beforehand. And so whenever I sit down now uh, and have an annual review, as I did relatively recently with Tom, it takes us ages to get round to money things. He's going, well, how are you then? How did you feel about just, you know, losing that doctor's contract or whatever? And then he, he, he well, I well up frequently, actually, talking to Tomo. I get very upset, sad and desperate. And I oh, know that's just him. <laughs> <laughs> I get the that point, when you speak to Tomo as well, to be fair, David. The, no, the point I'm making is that actually my experience is exactly that, that it's, it's finding out those inner motivations, which are really, really important. And then how can you best use your money to the best possible effect? to increase the ha- level of happiness that you've already identified. So um, a fascinating conversation. Can, I, been, can I just can I just finish with one last line to perhaps just summarise what I feel about this? Does more money make you more happy? Yes, if you're somebody that needs money to be happy. Well, very profound, Chris. So if you are that person, go out and earn more. But if you're, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not... Have a little think about, you know, other ways that you could make yourself happy. Right, okay. I think we've uh, waffled on about this enough for now. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you found it useful. Um, And I hope that you will join the three of us, plus the shadowy producer, Tammy, next time for another one of our long-running series of Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.